As we've started a new year, and I mentioned last week that I'd like to put an emphasis on soul winning, on evangelism, on, on personal evangelism. And we spoke last week on the importance of living the Spirit-filled life, because living the Spirit-filled life is really key to any sort of personal evangelism, any sort of outreach that we may expect to uh, have a part in. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage or look at really one verse. We'll bounce around and look at different verses, but our focal point this morning will be Philippians 4 and verse number 8. Philippians 4, verse number 8, in a sermon that I've titled, Guarding Your Mind. Guarding Your Mind. Last week, we looked at the importance of living a spirit-filled life. Today, we look at the importance of guarding your mind. And we'll look at Philippians 4, 8 in just a moment. We'll come back and look at this verse while we look at several other verses in Scripture that speak about the importance of guarding your mind. Without question, one of the hardest things for us to do is to guard our minds. It can be hard enough to guard our words, but you can always put your hand over your mouth or even walk away from a situation to avoid saying something you know you're going to immediately regret. And as difficult as James tells us the tongue is to tame, it can be tamed. We can possess a good and a fair amount of control over our tongues. But what about our minds? You can't just put your hand over your head and stop yourself from thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about. You can't even walk away from a situation to avoid thinking about what you know you're going to be thinking about if you're in that situation. How many times have you told someone who is clearly having some difficulty... Just don't think about it. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I wish it were that easy to just turn our minds off and to stop thinking about something that is all that we can think about. But it doesn't work that way. Usually when we tell ourselves that we're not going to be thinking about something, that's only what we end up thinking about. Thinking about things will keep us up at night. Thinking about things will keep us and have us be tossing and turning at night, constantly running ideas and scenarios through our minds. Sometimes thoughts will enter into our minds seemingly out of nowhere at all. Sometimes it just seems to have no lead up. I read somewhere that smells, the sense of smell, triggers our minds more than, anything, many, more than any other sense. We'll pick up on a smell that'll trigger a memory. When Ruthie and I were living in Florida, there was a mall down there, the Cordova Mall. And as soon as you walked in, as soon as, it doesn't matter what entrance you walked into, that a certain smell hits you. There was a Cinnabon in that mall. And no matter what entrance you came into from that mall, the, the wafting smell of the cinnamon rolls would just hit you in the face. As soon as you entered, you wanted a cinnamon roll. We'd be nowhere near that Cinnabon store, but the smell would draw you in. It would remind me of how warm and tasty they were. Any of you ever had a Cinnabon cinnamon roll? That is like manna from heaven. <laughs> now, this happens a lot with smells. There are certain smells that trigger a memory. 
But it also happens a lot with, with sound as well. A lot of music that we hear will trigger a memory. You'll walk into a store and the music that'll be playing over the radio in that store will, will trigger a memory from when maybe you first heard that song or you remember that song playing during a certain point in your life and it, remi it reminds you of certain details. Sometimes the memories will be good, other times they'll be bad. Every single one of our senses, though, trigger memory in some way. How can you control that? It's not like you planned on, on hearing that music. Or it's not like you planned on, on smelling that food or seeing a picture that caused you to remember something. Sometimes things happen that are completely out of your control. And other times, they're forced onto you. This summer, I was forced, forced to try a food that I'd never tried before and I never wanted to try. I was forced, someone tied me up and forced the food down my throat. Vegemite, if you're planning on bringing Vegemite fifth Sunday dinner, we need to talk. None of you are Australian, none of you better be bringing, I don't care if you have an ancient ancestor that was from there, Vegemite is not an appropriate food to bring to a fifth Sunday dinner. But when I tasted Vegemite, after it was forced down my throat, I was reminded of two things. The first time, I was reminded of the first time I got a mouthful of ocean water. And then I was also reminded that God created some things that were never intended to be eaten. <laughs> but you can't just close your mouth. Or, I mean, you, you can't just close your mouth, cover your ears, shield your eyes, and have your t arms tied behind your back, and then plug your nose. You can't go through life that way. We cannot expect to go through life preventing any thought from entering our mind. There are plenty of good memories and good thoughts that we have. The problem comes when we start to think about those things that we shouldn't ever be thinking about. But how can we control that? Many people think that the solution to controlling your mind is to deal with the thoughts after you've had them. Someone has likened that, though, to building a hospital at the bottom of a cliff in order to treat people who have fallen off of the cliff. A better solution is to offer an answer that helps prevent people from falling off that cliff altogether. Putting up a guardrail, maybe, so that you don't end up falling in the, off the cliff in the first place. What we can do in our personal lives is to put up guardrails in our minds so that we don't end up thinking about things that we shouldn't ever be thinking about, rather than figuring out how to stop thinking about something once we've already started. Last week, again, we started looking and talking about the spirit-filled life and why that's so important. And this is going to be a reality in our lives. We have to guard our minds. Satan likes to plant ideas in our minds and ideas that sound good, but ultimately lead us away from living that spirit-filled life. And this is why we need so much training. We, lead, we need discernment because Satan is more subtle than we get, what we give him credit for. And you may not realize it, but there is a spiritual battle that is raging right now for control of our minds. Satan may not be able to do anything to squander our salvation, to steal it away from us, but he can sure do a number to prevent us from being profitable in ministry once we're saved. A Christian who is not active in serving the Lord is a Christian who is actually pleasing the devil. You may not like to think of it that way, but it's true that when you're doing nothing for the Lord, you're actually furthering the agenda of Satan. 
You may come up with every excuse under the sun as to why you cannot do something. You're not equipped enough. You're not skilled enough. You're not old enough. You don't feel comfortable enough. You're not smart enough. It's not the right time. And whatever the reason is, the devil will, excuse, will use excuses to justify our inaction as Christians. Now, having said that, there may be situations where there is a legitimate reason that you're unable to do something. Quite honestly, the Lord may be shutting a door for a specific reason in your life, but that is completely different. Because when the Lord shuts one door, he opens another door. The point is that God may close doors to redirect us, but he never closes doors to encourage laziness and indifference and apathy. Sometimes God closes a door to give us some time to rest. But that period of rest is never intended to be permanent, where we're sitting on our hands doing absolutely nothing, always with the excuse, well, God keeps closing doors. It's never intended to be permanent just long enough to, for us to pre be prepared for what he has next. And this is why it is so important that we train our minds to be thinking the right way. The agenda of Satan would have us thinking about ourselves and where we stand to benefit the most, while the will of God would have us thinking about him and where we stand to benefit for eternity. Now, these lines can often be hard to see because of what we end up filling our minds with. And listen to what we read in Philippians 4, verse number 8. This may be a very familiar verse to you. Maybe some of you have it memorized, and that's good if you do. Very profitable for us to, to learn to, and to put into practice what, these verse, what this verse is telling us to do. Notice what it says here in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We have here almost a laundry list of what we as Christians should be thinking about. When we're thinking about these things, they, they end up serving as guardrails for our minds preventing us from thinking on those things that we have no business thinking on, thinking on those things that offer us little eternal value or none at all. The idea of think on these things, as verse number eight there in Philippians 4 ends, doesn't mean that it is bad to think about something else, but that these are the things that should consume our minds. What is it that comes out in our conversations more than anything else? Is it words that are honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, or praiseworthy? Or do our conversations reveal that we are more dishonest, more unjust, immoral, unkind, deceptive, cynical, and condescending? There are some people who will find something negative to say about absolutely everything. It makes me wonder what they're thinking about from day to day. Because if all they can focus on is the negativity, something is missing. Everything starts with what we're allowing to enter into our minds. Our, con our conversations seem to be the means by which our minds express what they're thinking about. So what do our conversations reveal? Some of us spend far too much time watching videos and movies and television, and it shows based on how many movie quotes enter into our daily conversation. When I was 10 years old, I was big into baseball. Love baseball. My uncle bought me a baseball movie one summer. I must have watched that movie 30, maybe 50 times in one summer. I don't know what my parents were thinking. It has been years since I've watched that movie, but I promise you I can still probably quote every line from that movie. 
There's nothing wrong with watching movies or television, but if that is what consumes your time, then it's a problem. If movie quotes are entering your regular conversation more than scripture is entering your regular conversation, perhaps it is time to reevaluate where you're spending the majority of your time. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should be only speaking to each other quoting scripture. But if you ever intend on guarding your mind, you'll start feeding it more of God's word and less of the world. And as a side note, it's usually the case that those who are worried the most, those who are easily overwhelmed, those who are prone to doubt, those who are constantly thinking about the wrong things are the ones who are not reading their Bibles enough. The word of God needs to be a priority in our lives. It needs to be what we're filling our minds with. Some of us may not realize it, but we're promoting the agenda of Satan more than when we're living to serve Christ, when we're filling our minds with other stuff. We have Christians today who are experts in knowing everything there is to know about the NFL and about Major League Baseball and about basketball and about Facebook and Instagram and movies and even books and all sorts of other things. But they choose to remain novices in knowing about God's word. What are you passionate about? What are the things that, that drive you, that excite you? I love sports. I do. I'll admit that. But that's no excuse for me to allow sports to stand between me and serving God. There's no reason for that. I love reading books, but that is no excuse to not read my Bible. Sometimes we think that guarding our minds consists of shielding ourselves from the filth and the perversion out in the world and on television today. But the truth is that anything can serve as a distraction if we allow it to consume our time. Play sports, be active, watch a ball game, post to Facebook, watch a movie, read lots of books. Just remember that in everything you do, these things should not be what govern our lives and consume our time. Our lives shouldn't revolve around all these extra things. They should revolve around God and his word. Some of us are consumed with other things that we... So much so that we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is check Facebook or we check the scores or we finish that movie that we were watching or that show that we just couldn't get the end of or we'll finish that chapter in that book that we're, we're reading the night before or we'll, we'll check the weather to see if it's a good day to go out on that activity that we were hoping to do. And some of us are more concerned with everything else than we are with God. I will admit that the world has made it easy for us to not think about God with the invention of the smartphone. Our phones are often the first thing that we'll look at in the morning. As we feel the need to often update ourselves with everything that has happened during the, in the entire world during the six to eight hours that we were asleep. Are we spending more time thinking, though, on things that are true and honest and just, pure and lovely? Or are we filling our minds with things that may not be bad, but profit us little? Whether we realize it or not, there is a spiritual war that is raging for control of our minds, and I think we're failing miserably. Listen to what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verses 3 through 5, and we'll cite these verses later on. But 2 Corinthians 10, and verses 3 through 5, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Bible doesn't just hint 
towards us being in a spiritual battle, but outright declares that we're at war. We're at war. There are forces that are actively working right now to tear us down, and they're targeting our minds. What makes matters difficult is that the enemy is so incredibly cunning in how he attacks. Satan rarely comes at us looking the way he's depicted in movies and books where he's this red, fiery, and fearsome-looking creature with horns and a pitchfork. That's not the way he comes at us, rarely. Rather, he uses tactics to make us think that he has nothing to do with it. We get letters in the mail from different organizations. You, you probably do get this as well. All sorts of different organizations that are looking for money. And a lot of the time, I can tell right away who it's from and what they're looking for just by what the envelope says. There's a lot of mail that I don't even bother opening and I just throw it right into the recycling bin because I know exactly who it's from and everything that they're looking for. Every once in a while, an envelope will arrive in the mail that'll say something like, confidential, open immediately. And you're thinking, oh man, it's got to be something important. No one would put those words on an envelope. That wouldn't be important, right? And then you'd open it up and it says, we'd like to offer you $10,000 more for your car than any other dealer. Wow. That was a complete waste of time. Don't even have that car anymore. But of course, those words piqued everyone's attention. But nine times out of ten, it ends up being nothing important, but it piqued your curiosity enough to open the letter. These companies are smart enough to package what they're selling in an, in, in an appealing-looking envelope. Otherwise, they know that people will dismiss them without having to think about it. And you know what? Satan knows this. And that's why he comes at us, as the Bible says, like an angel of light. He'll often attack our mind to the point where we're convinced he's not involved at all. And this is why we must always be on guard. This is why our our mind needs to be focused on God. We are God's temple. We are bought with a price. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Our minds need to be consumed with God. They need to be centered on Him. God needs to be what we're thinking about and what we filter every thought through. Proverbs 23, verse 7 states, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The more our minds are filled with God, the more we start to resemble him. The things we end up doing originate first in your mind. Our actions are the embodiment of our thoughts. I want you to notice first the desire of Satan. The desire of Satan. So Philippians 4, 8 again says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's what we need to be thinking about. But let's see what the desire of Satan is. And listen to what we're told in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. The Bible says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
2 Corinthians 11.3, again, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There are far too many people who have corrupted minds, even though they think everything is fine. And I'm not talking about those that are unsaved. These words here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 were written to believers in Corinth who were not increasing in the knowledge of God. And as a result, they were prime targets for the attack of the devil. They were babes in Christ. They knew enough to be saved, but weren't doing anything more to learn and to grow in the knowledge of God. And as a result, Satan was able to deceive them without them even realizing they're being deceived by the devil. Many Christians think that Satan isn't interested in attacking those who are saved, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Satan certainly attacks the unsaved, and he does so in an attempt to keep them unsaved. He wants to prevent as many people as possible from entering into heaven. So he's going to attack the unsaved, for sure. But he also attacks believers. Even though no one can lose their salvation, Satan can corrupt the mind of the believer. He can prevent them from being fruitful, from being profitable in the work of the Lord. His desire is to disgrace the name of Christianity. And I dare say he's done a phenomenal job at that. His desire is to disgrace the name of Christ, to disgrace the word of God, and he will and has employed tactics, every tactic under the sun, to see that his agenda is accomplished and furthered. He is far more successful when he can corrupt the mind of a believer than an, than an unbeliever. He can ruin a believer's testimony. He can destroy a believing home. He can even tear apart churches. When Satan can get us to think about the wrong things, our actions will follow suit. Satan knows just how destructive a corrupt mind can be. And that is why he sets his goal on leading people astray. Back in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 5 through 7, the Bible tells us about why God sent a worldwide flood. And listen to what we see in verses 5 through 7 in Genesis chapter 6. Why God had to send the flood to destroy mankind and purge the earth. The Bible says in Genesis 6 verses 5 through 7. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And pay attention. It says, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and aggrieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for repenteth me that I have made them. The imagination, it says, of the thoughts of the heart of mankind was only evil continually. Do you think maybe that Satan had a hand in that? Absolutely. 100%. Do you think Satan would abandon a tactic that proved so powerful and so destructive all the way back then? You think he still employed that today? 100%. Absolutely he would have used that today. He'd no way abandon that. Now, we can't always pass the blame on the Satan and say, well, Satan made me do it. 
He may have tempted you, but you opened yourself up to be tempted in the first place because you weren't thinking of the things you should be thinking about. There were no guardrails up in your mind, and you allowed things to come into your mind that should have no business being in your mind, and by way, you gave Satan a foothold, and he became the ruler and controller of your mind to get you thinking about things you should have never thought about. And so, yes, he may have influenced you, but you're the one who put legs to what the thoughts were in your mind. So that's the desire of Satan. But notice, secondly, the devices of Satan. The devices of Satan. As much as we know that Satan is ultimately a defeated foe. We've, we've read the end of the book. We know how it all ends. Do not, though, underestimate his power and ability. Never let your guard down thinking that he is no match for you because you have been saved by the grace of God. You may never lose your salvation, but Satan can do a number on you to keep you from being productive in your Christian life. Many Christians are taken in their simplicity in Christ foolishly convinced that because they attend church and because they know scripture that they are not on Satan's radar. Not as a means of discouraging anyone from deepening your love and your knowledge and your thirst of God, but Satan targets mature believers quite a bit. If he's seeking to destroy a church, Satan will be more successful if he can corrupt the minds of the spiritual leaders of that church as opposed to the lowly church member who attends church only once a week and rarely reads his Bible. It's not that Satan isn't interested in corrupting every single church member. It's just that it's his biggest trophy. The one that he's going to hang on his wall. The spiritual leader that is really going to wreak havoc and cause strife and division and separation in that church. If it's, their mind is corrupted. It's not that Satan isn't interested in everyone. But what a trophy it would be if he can tear down a church through the spiritual leaders. This is why Satan is very strategic in all his attacks. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 11. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. It says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We may not see Satan with our eyes, but we don't have to be ignorant to his devices. In the battle for our minds, Satan seeks to blind the minds of the unsaved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible states, In whom the God of this world, and the word God is lowercase speaking of Satan, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So Satan's absolutely attacking the unsaved. He says, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Absolutely, the unsaved are on his radar. He is going to continue to do everything in his power to make sure they stay blind forever to the gospel of truth. He wants to do everything to make sure that the unsaved remain unsaved. He also seeks to corrupt the minds of the saved. And I don't care how long you've been saved. If, you, if you've been saved for 90 years, I don't care how many times you've read through the Bible from cover to cover. If you're saved, you're absolutely a target of the devil. He may not be able to lose your salvation, but you can surely, he can surely corrupt your mind and he can limit the work that you'll do for Christ. He cannot possess any believer, but Satan can oppress every believer. And corrupting the minds of believers is one of his greatest tactics and it's one of the reasons there are so many stressed anxious and fearful Christians all over the world. Due to a corrupt mind, many Christians are spiritually
spiritually paralyzed. They may not be bound by sin. Sin no longer has dominion over them by the grace of God. But Satan has their mind in a vice grip to the point that their witness and their testimony is completely ineffective. Personal evangelism, soul winning, not even a thought on their minds. Because of Satan's devices and what we allow into our mind. Notice third, the unguarded mind. The unguarded mind. Notice again what we see here in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. How is it that Satan is ever able to gain a foothold into a Christian's life? The only way, the only way that Satan gets into your mind in the first place is if you allow him the opportunity to get into your mind. When you're not guarding your mind, you're giving Satan an invitation to enter. An unguarded mind is like an open door. It presents itself in several ways and basically stands as an open invitation for Satan to come on in. And the first way it presents itself is with unconfessed and harbored sin. An unguarded mind presents itself with unconfessed and harbored sin in the life of the believer. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 23 to 27, listen to what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 to 27. It says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. When you're harboring sin, from one day to the next, the Bible says you're giving place to the devil. You're giving him an open invitation. It's basically like going to sleep at night while leaving the back door of your home completely open and the light on. You're giving place to the devil. When you give Satan an inch, he's not going to just stick at an inch. He's going to seek to take over. Harboring unconfessed sin is a quick way to attract the devil who seeks to corrupt your mind. The rest of Ephesians chapter 4 tells us what that sin might look like. It goes on to talk about anger and bitterness and wrath and malice and so on. When these are present in our lives, we're leaving our minds unguarded against Satan. The first way it presents itself is through unconfessed and harbored sin. The second way an unguarded mind presents itself is through passive neglect passive neglect. Your mind is not going to remain guarded simply because you're a Christian. 
If you're not actively working on filling your mind with what we're told to be thinking on here in Philippians 4 verse 8, we're opening ourselves up to Satan. Again, what does it say here in Philippians 4 verse 8? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. If this is not what we're thinking about, you are opening yourself up to Satan. Proverbs 4, 23 tells us, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keeping our heart and our mind refers to actively guarding it and actively controlling it. It is when we become passive with the things of God that we neglect to fill our minds with those things that are keeping us protected, that are keeping us guarded, and we're leaving the door wide open for Satan to come on in. Keep your mind and your heart with all diligence. Don't open it up for anyone other than God. And this is an area that Christians struggle with the most. We get careless we get careless when it comes to what we allow to enter our minds. We set up certain standards for ourselves that are stricter than the unbelieving world, which makes us feel as if we're doing something good, right? We do this. We, we, we look at the, what the world is doing and we say, well, I can't do that. So I'm going to come up with standards that are a little bit more harsh and a little more strict and a little more separation between us and the world. And if I do that, then I'm doing good. And we do everything we can to keep the world at arm's length. But when the world is constantly moving away from God and moving away from the truth of God's word, and we're keeping at least a step or two behind the world, we find that ourselves, we're further and further from God's truth as we're keeping lockstep with the world. You can't, keep, you can't sustain yourself that way. That is a passive neglect that many Christians choose to live with. A 20-year-old study, and this is outdated as, as already. A 20-year-old study has shown that the average 18-year-old has watched 25,000 hours of television. The average 18-year-old. This is a 20-year-old study. The average 18-year-old has watched 25,000 hours of television. Now, I've done the math on this, and Whitney can verify it. This amounts to roughly three years of your life by the time you're 18 spent watching television. And I dare say, over the last 20 years, with the rise of cell phones and social media, that the average screen time has drastically increased. It's safe to say that we have let our guard down. And we're not helping ourselves anymore when we watch things that make a mockery of sin or in many cases outright promote sin. We may think it is harmless because we'll say, well, I'll never do that. I know it's bad. I'm never going to associate myself with those kind of people. I'm never going to say those things. I'll never do what they're doing on TV. Clearly it's wrong. That's not how I'm going to live my life. But the more we entertain it, and the more we allow such thoughts into our minds, the more it becomes commonplace to us. Satan knows that once we start laughing at sin, it becomes harder for us to actually take it seriously. 
We must be actively working to diligently keep our minds on God and to fill our minds with those things that are truly wholesome, that are truly edifying. As it says here in Philippians 4 verse 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is what we should be thinking on. These are the things that are truly wholesome and they're truly edifying. Isaiah 26, 3. Man, that verse sounds so familiar. Why? I don't know. Says something about how God gives us perfect peace. Anyone memorize this verse yet? Anyone want to share it? Amen. Next month's verse. Good job. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Yes, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. We do that by thinking on these things, as Philippians 4, 8 says. All the things that are listed there, those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, any virtue, any praise, think on these things, he says. And you're doing that because you're stayed on Christ and you're trusting in him from day to day. Think on these things and you'll keep an a guarded mind. Notice fourth. So we've looked at the unguarded mind and how it reveals itself in two ways. But notice fourth, the defeat of Satan. The defeat of Satan. Now thankfully, God has made it possible for us to regain control of our minds even if it has been corrupted. The answer is found in, in what we previously read. I mentioned 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 and 5 and I said we'd be looking at that again. This is where we're looking at it again. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5. Again, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of this warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing into captivity every thought so it's been lost and needs to be regained and recontrolled. The battle of our minds is not going to be won through education, through intellect, or through positive thinking. If we're harboring unconfessed sin, we must actively work on cleansing our lives from that filth. This is done through acknowledging your sin, confessing it to God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that confession isn't just saying it. It is acknowledging it. It is calling it what it is. It is being specific about what sins you're involved in and what's been part of your life for so long. And it is getting it out there with God. And the Bible says when you're doing this, confessing it, claiming it, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, are there going to be consequences for your sin? Absolutely. Eternal consequences have been dealt with at the cross. But there are consequences that we will deal with for sins that we get ourselves involved in. But God will cleanse us through confession of that sin. In many cases, this involves huge lifestyle changes. Certain sins need to be uprooted and completely removed. Sins that have been allowed to take up residence in our lives. And they need to go. And they need to go immediately. Now this can be very challenging. Because harbored sin 
can easily become such a big, big part of us. And it could involve quite a bit of sacrifice to remove it. It could involve changing things in your life that have been a part of your life for 10, 20, 30 years. And as much as the sacrifice may hurt, just realize that the longer it remains, the longer Satan has a foothold in your life. Now, it's also helpful to set up stricter boundaries whereby we can easily resist the devil. In James chapter 4, in verse number 7, it tells us, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If Satan already has a foothold in your life, he's not about to let go without a fight. You can't just tell him, all right, I'm done with you, get out. My mind is no longer your control. Just because you decide no longer to watch a certain television show, he's not going to flee from you feeling defeated. He's going to draw your attention elsewhere. We need to re-examine our standards and the things that we allow ourselves to do, say and watch. We need to remind ourselves that our bodies and our minds are the temples for the Holy Ghost and the devil has no authority over us. Resist him, the Bible says. Don't give him any leeway. Don't entice him by doing things, by allowing things, by saying things that you have no business entertaining in the first place. Put up that no trespassing sign in your life and be sure to live your life in such a way that no part of your life leaves an open door for Satan to come on in. When we're spending more time thinking and dwelling on those things which honor God, and our focus, our attention will be on the things which are edifying. Fortunately, God has made it so that we can only think about one thing at a time. Do what you can to force yourself to be thinking on things that are right because the more you're doing that, the less time for you to be doing and thinking of things that are wrong. Notice Philippians 4, 8 once more. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. It's not about trying your hardest to avoid thinking about bad things. Just make it a point to immerse yourself in the word of God. Get to know more about God. Spend time with him all throughout the day. When you get up in the morning, seek him first. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. Be rich in it. Let it consume you. Allow the word of God to take up residence in your heart and in your mind. Pray for God's help to give you the strength you need from day to day to keep the door of your mind guarded and always protected as you daily focus on him. You're going to be nothing, nothing without a guarded mind. If you seek to win souls for Christ without a guarded mind, you might as well not even try. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. Satan can do more damage through an unguarded mind than in any other way. And we leave ourselves open to this by the things that we're thinking about. May we be thinking about things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, things that are praiseworthy. 
because we're immersing ourselves in God's word. May we truly have that guarded mind that is protected against what Satan seeks to do and how he seeks to destroy. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, as difficult as it may be sometimes to hear about what we need to do and the changes that need to take place in our lives, Lord, starting with myself, Lord, I'm not going to stand here and say that I have my life completely put together and that everything in my life is as it should be. Lord, I know that there are things that need to be removed. I know that there are sacrifices that need to be made, and I pray that you would give me the strength and the wisdom to know what to do and how to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to have the boldness to actually do it, not just to know what to do. I pray the same for each and every one of us. Lord, there are areas that we struggle with. Lord, there are doors that we're leaving open. Lord, and there are things that we think are harmless. Think, Lord, that won't be influential, won't cause us any issue, won't be a stumbling block. And Lord, foolishly, we've convinced ourselves of this because we've allowed things to stay in our lives for far too long. Help us to do what needs to be done. Lord, to cleanse our lives of all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Lord, the things that Satan seeks to infiltrate our minds through and with in order to prevent us from being fruitful and abundant in our work for you. Lord, our desire as Christians is to be servants for you, to reach the lost. Lord, to bring your gospel of grace and truth to the world that so desperately needs it. But Lord, we're so ineffective when our minds are corrupted, when we can't even think on things that are right. Help us, Lord, to take control back of our minds and that let there be nothing between us and you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.